We're excited, I'm excited to open up God's Word with you this morning. We're continuing our way through the Gospel of Mark. If you have a Bible device, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2 and starting at verse uh, 23 as we continue our series, Follow the King. We've been, since the beginning of chapter 2, in a series of conflict stories. We've seen three of them so far. We're going to see two more of them this morning. Jesus is in first conflict whenever he forgives the paralytic man's sins, right? And he's accused of being a blasphemer. And then he's accused of what? Eating with sinners and tax collectors. And then also he was accused and asked the question, why do your disciples not fast like John's disciples do? Okay. This morning we're going to see another one of these conflicts that he has. It's going to end a series of five conflict stories. And both of the ones that we're going to look at this morning concern the Sabbath, that is the, the fourth commandment, that commandment that God gave for his people to rest and to give rest uh, to their servants and to the sojourners in their land. And the conflict centers around the interpretation of that fourth commandment. So let's look at the word right now, starting in verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need? And was hungry? He and those who were with him, how, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning before us. Would you make it come alive to us that ultimately we would be led to our Savior and to him only, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I was starting to write this sermon, actually type this sermon on, on Friday, I was actually at a car dealership in the service department, you know, in the lobby, you know, waiting for a car to, to get worked on. So I had Vivaldi like blaring in my ears on my AirPods. I couldn't hear anything. Um, it was wonderful. It was great. I was just in the moment. And then suddenly I hear two people talking very loudly over everything that's going on in my ears and look around to see what it is. And there's a lady in the midst of this lobby. There's lots of people in there waiting for their cars. And, and she's talking on speakerphone. 
And so I hear two people talking back and forth. I can hear everything that they're saying. She has it turned up as loud as possible. I look across to the lady that's just across from me, and, and she looks at me and just kind of rolls her eyes, you know, knowingly, like, can you believe this lady? Can, can you believe what she's doing? Um, and it was in the midst of preparing this sermon as, as we're going to see the, the Pharisees, what do they do with Jesus? They were just ready and waiting to pounce on him just looking for something to pounce on. And sometimes I think that's how we live, don't we? We live just waiting to pounce on people, waiting to, to pounce on somebody to tear them down in some way or another. And in some way or another, just that late, you know, it kind of almost makes you feel a little bit better about yourself, doesn't it? Because, oh, I would never do that, right? Um, we sometimes can begin to look awful like, like the Pharisee that Jesus described in Luke 18 who was praying. And, and what did he pray? He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And in some, in a small way, very small way, hopefully. That's what I was doing with that lady as she's on her speakerphone, you know, just complete. oh, thankfully I'm not like her. Thankfully, I, I know better than to speak on my speakerphone in the midst of car dealership. I was ready and waiting to pounce, it seemed. And the Pharisees this morning are ready to pounce. Let's look, starting at verse 23. So on the Sabbath day, what are they doing? They're, they're going through the grain fields. And what do his disciples begin to do? But they, they begin to pluck the heads of the grain. And then the Pharisees say to him, look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? You need to understand and get the picture. The picture is almost like they jump out from the midst of the grain fields, okay? It's like, why are they out there? It's kind of like they're waiting to catch Jesus in the act. And I think in a way they are, because we're going to see another story that immediately follows it, where it seems like that's precisely what they're doing. The Pharisees are waiting to catch him, it seems. Now, the Pharisees, if you don't know, they're a very distinct strain of Judaism, one that was very concerned with their traditions, okay? And particularly their traditions as it involved the law and, and keeping the law focused very much on right behavior and the right way to live and the things that you need to do. So they would do things like, okay, God says, whatever, in this case, the fourth commandment, rest on the Sabbath day. And so what did they do? They then created all sorts of laws around it to make sure you never got close, okay? It's like you have the, the, the fourth commandment is the line, right? So they, they take five, ten steps back and then draw a bunch of other lines to make sure that you never, ever get close. So whenever they looked at the Sabbath day, this is what they said. They came up with 39 things that you couldn't do. Okay, I'm going to go over them very quickly. You, you, you're not able to sow, plow, reap, bind sheaves, thresh, winnow, select your crops, grind, sift, knead, bake, shear wool, wash it, beat it, dye it, spins it, weaves it, make two loops, weave two more, separate two threads, tie anything. You know, it gets strange. Untie anything. Sew two stitches. Tear in order to sew two stitches. Trap a deer. Slaughter it. Flay it. Salt it. Cure its hide. Scrape it. Cut it up. Write two letters. Erase two letters so that you write two more. Build, tear down. He who puts out a fire, kindles it, hits with a hammer, or transports one object from one place to another. They, they, they create all these things, these things that you can't do to, to make sure that nobody steps over the line. 
You see, there, a lot of gray area had been created by the fourth commandment. And they wanted to turn it all into black and white, so it was very clear. And so to them on that day, as Jesus' disciples are going, by doing what is very lawful to do as you go, if you're a traveler, you can take off the, the, the tops of the heads of the grain and eat it. That's perfectly allowable and perfectly okay. And they pounce on it and they say, no, they're reaping. Okay, they're, they're harvesting. You're not allowed to do that on the Sabbath. Jesus, why are you letting your disciples do that? And in our passage before us, this isn't the only thing that they confront Jesus on, right? There's a second thing, and I want to jump to that, and then we're going to come back and we're going to look at both of Jesus' responses together, okay? So let's look at Mark 3 and verse 1. Another scenario. Seemingly, maybe even on the same day, what does Jesus do? He enters the synagogue. Now this is Jesus doing what? Respecting the Sabbath. Where is he on the Sabbath day? He's going into the synagogue to worship, okay? And what were they doing And they, that's the Pharisees, they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. (laughs) You you see, these folks, at this point, they're convinced that Jesus is a Sabbath breaker, okay? They're, They're convinced that he violates this law, and so they're just waiting to pounce. And in fact, it seems like a setup, doesn't it? Maybe that withered, the man with the withered hand is positioned just right to make sure, and they're just sitting there, the Mark gives us the picture of they're just sitting there watching to see if he would heal this man because in in their mind, according to their traditions, to heal somebody on the Sabbath would break the Sabbath, okay? They would say something similar to that ruler of the synagogue in Luke chapter 13. Do you remember what he said? He said, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. Okay, There there had to be something like life-threatening in order to heal somebody on the Sabbath. Otherwise, you should wait till the next day. Okay, And that was their perspective. Jesus, how could you even think about healing? And and you know what's amazing here? Is that, I don't know if you catch it, but the Pharisees are expecting that he's going to heal this man. Which means that they believe that he has the power to do so. There's something very surprising there, right? They know that this man has the power to heal. And as we're going to see, they fail to see who he really is. Now, back in the day, whenever Adrian, my wife, and I were were fresh out of seminary, freshly married, we began to try to think through, okay, how do we apply this fourth commandment to rest? And, And we applied it very strictly, okay? And... In a way, there's nothing wrong with that for us as a family to decide, okay, this is how we're going to apply that. And that that can be a good and a healthy thing. But what did we do with it? Or at least, maybe I should say, what what did I do with it? Is as we were serving our first church, I began to look around and see all these people who, who weren't keeping this day in the same way that I was. And what did I begin to do? But I began to judge them. I I began to try, you know, how do these people, they, they don't sort out this commandment in the same way. For me, it had become this thing of, that was very gray, in fact, had become very black and white. And so it affected the way I did ministry. It affected, unfortunately, the youth group that we were ministering in. And, and even so much so, you know, like one of the things that we did is like we just had decided at that point, things have changed now, but we decided at that point, you know, we're not going to watch TV at all on Sabbath. That's a fine thing to do. On the Lord's Day, just say, hey, we're not going to watch TV, and if that's something that's good for you and brings life to you, that's a wonderful thing. But what do we do? Well, our parents are coming to down. 
We know our dads, they're going to immediately want to turn on the TV. So what do we do? You know, do we unplug the TV to make sure that they can't turn it on? You know, like, seriously, these things were going through my mind, and I think back, and I think, Steve, what were you doing? You see, we were, in a way, we were missing the heart of it, weren't we? I want to make clear, it wasn't in all bad, okay? Okay, we, there, some of the intentions behind there were good. We, we had a desire to follow God. We had a desire to follow His commandments. But at issue was the way that we were applying it and making something that was gray as we were working on our family and trying to push it on to others. Like so many other things in life, we were taking something that I think is meant to be beautiful and turning it on its head and making it something that was burdensome. And that, I believe, is precisely what the Pharisees are, are doing here. They're turning this good and this gracious thing called the Sabbath day, and they're turning it on its head instead of allowing the Sabbath day to give life. Instead of enjoying the day. What are the Pharisees doing? They're all, all tied up in knots, waiting to see if Jesus is going to violate it. Waiting to pounce. The very way that they're acting is contrary <laughs> to the very spirit of the way that they should be operating on the Sabbath day. They're sitting around waiting to pounce, not enjoying rest and worship, and they're missing the Sabbath themselves. Well, to understand this a little bit further, let's look at Jesus' response real quick, okay? Now, Jesus is being accused here, right? In both cases. These are strong accusations that are coming his way, and I want you to just think for a moment, how do you usually respond to accusations? Most of us probably respond pretty similarly. We deny it and we get angry, right? That's like, it's like it's natural ingrained. That's what we do. You accuse me of something, even if, even if there's truth in there, some truth, a lot of truth, a little bit of truth, we immediately defend ourselves. We deny it. We become angry. Let's look how Jesus responds. Jesus responds in both places with a question, okay? First question, Mark 2, 25. Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat? And he also gave it to those who were with him. So Jesus responds in a way by telling a story, hey, remember back to what happened with David. Now, before we dive in there deep, there's something I want to say here. I want to take like, if I can, just for a moment, let's step away sort of from the text, but not really. And, and I think it's an important instructive moment for us because in the scripture, there are many texts that create problems for us. Many texts that other people would come in and they would they would point to as, oh, see, your, your Bible, it's not reliable. You can't trust it. And this passage we have right in front of us is one of them. Okay, Bart Ehrman, some of you may have heard his name before. He uh, used to be, supposedly, you know, used to be involved very much in the evangelical world that we're involved in. And then at some point he turned away from it. And what he says, a large part of it was from this very text in front of us. So I don't want us to just completely avoid that or dismiss it, but understand that there is an issue here 
And we need to understand that we can still have faith in the Scripture amidst it. And you probably don't right off even see it, but it's a very small phrase there in verse 26. In the time of Abiathar, the high priest. And the problem is, if you, if you flip over to, um, to 1 Samuel, you're going to find that Abiathar was not the high priest, but Ahimelech was. Okay? And so that creates a problem for us. Did Jesus not know who the high priest was? Okay? And Bart Ehrman would say, well, this caused me to begin to question the whole of Scripture. And I use this as, a, as just a moment to step off to encourage you all that there are answers to these kind of questions. Okay? That, that kind of thing, it does not undermine Scripture. Okay? It just means... Sometimes we don't understand exactly what it's saying, and there's two possible things going on here. The one is, as we see translated here in the ESV, where it says, in the time of Abiathar. In other words, Ahimelech was an incredibly well-known high priest, but Abiathar was much more well-known, and he served well into David's reign, so he would have been the well-known one in that time period, okay? And, and maybe even more likely, you know, when you went to synagogue... What would they do? They would have to pull out scrolls. You know, we didn't, they didn't have the nice little Bible that we have with everything. And, okay, let's turn to 1 Samuel 21. You know, they didn't, that wasn't a possibility. So they'd have to pull out scrolls. And these scrolls would be named by different things. And it's very likely that this particular scroll might have been named by the high priest in that broader period. And so, oh, go grab the Abiathar scroll, if you will. Okay. I say all that, and we take that moment of tangent. Because I think you and I, we need to understand that when these hard questions come at us, there are very good answers. We can trust that God's word is good and it is true, okay? That doesn't mean that you always have the immediate answer to it. You might not need to do some research and some studying to, to understand what may be going on there, but we can trust the word. Well, let's jump back to the text real quick. Jesus isn't trying to teach us what I just did. He, he's trying to teach the Pharisees something, right? He, he points them back to this occurrence whenever David was on the run with his, his men and they're starving. And, and they come to the temple and he goes to the high priest and he sees, do you have anything to give? And all he has is the bread of the presence in the temple that gets changed out every day. But there was a law, and there's a law in Scripture, that only the high priests are allowed to eat that bread. Okay. But what did the high priest do? What did Ahimelech do? He, he gave David and his men the bread. That which, would, you know, he thought through it. He and David, if you will, had a conversation. Think, is this right to do? And he gives the bread to David. Something seemingly that's against the rules of Scripture, right? You know, that, that's only to be eaten by the priests. So what is going on here? I think... The question comes in, and what the real issue is, is Ahimelech knew who it was that was in front of him. The anointed one was there, okay? David, the, the, the coming king, was there with his men, and he was starving, in need of food. And what do they do? What is rightful to do? You see, what seemed so black and white, only priests are able to eat that bread, suddenly turns into gray because the king is there. And the king is starving, and the king needs food, and, and, and the king needs to take his reign from Saul. Okay? Do you, do you see what's going on there? And so, so Scripture actually says, if you will, that that's all right for David to do. 
to have eaten this bread that only the high priest is able to eat. And so Jesus comes and he, he shares that with the Pharisees. Why? I think for two reasons. First of all, it's a gray area. Okay? He, he shows them an area that's gray that, that, that David and the high priest, him, like they had to come to some sort of interpretation as to, is it okay to eat this bread? Okay? And we confront gray issues and the Sabbath, what we now call the Lord's Day. It's one of those gray issues. How do you apply this fourth commandment? I don't think you just get rid of it. But the application of it is gray. It's not clear and it's not black and white, but I don't think that's even the most important reason why Jesus shares that story, though I think that's part of it. Look at verse 28. What does Jesus say? He says, the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. You see, in other words, what he's saying is, your, your problem, Pharisees, is that you don't realize who it is that's in front of you. You're, you're missing the forest for the trees, if you will. You're so worried about not getting close to committing a sin and creating all these rules and stuff around it that you've missed the Messiah who's standing right here in front of you. You've missed the Lord himself, the one who, who created the Sabbath day. And surely, that promised one who you, Pharisees, of all people, you, you should have been expecting, right? You, you should know who's here, and you're missing him. And instead, you're trying to find ways to trip him up. The Pharisees have Jesus standing right there in front of them, and they can't see him for who he is. They totally miss him. Makes me think how often you and I totally miss him. That he's standing right in front of us in a sense. But we are so focused on what? Whatever it is. Maybe at times it is the rules. <laughs> Maybe it's other things, our family, our work, money, whatever it is. And we get so fixated on these things. And we totally miss Jesus. And the Pharisees, they totally miss Jesus, don't they? And we're about to see the story that comes right after it where we see them continuing to totally miss him. But before we leave this story, let's not miss an incredible principle, verse 27. What does he say? He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What had the Pharisees done? That they had taken this day and they'd made it all about what you can't do. Okay. The Sabbath day, Jesus is saying... It was never meant to be about don't. Okay? It was never meant to be about the things that you can't do. It was meant to be about what you get to do. About what you've been freed to do on a day of the week. That, you see, that, that the Pharisees, they failed to contemplate and to see the incredible grace that had been brought to them in the Sabbath day that, that they were being given a day to rest and to worship, how gracious it, it, it is that God doesn't want you and I to work ourselves to death. He, he wants and desires for us to rest. Isn't that an incredible principle? Even so much so that it made leave, leaving some things undone. How incredible and gracious that is. And he calls us to trust him and to enjoy the rest that he has brought because it is made for us. We need it. And he has given it to us. The Sabbath was not made for man, or 
The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God's incredible graciousness. Now let's look at Jesus' response with the withered man. Verse 3. What does he do? He says, come here to the man. And then he addresses the Pharisees saying, with a question, here's his other question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Now, let's be honest here. Is Jesus being completely fair in his argumentation? Just think about it. I mean, is this man going to, is any real harm going to be done by waiting one more day? Or do remember in that day, like the Sabbath day, it ended at sundown, so it may have only been a couple hours away. You know, would have really hurt just to wait, Jesus? You know, certainly this man's not going to die because you don't heal him. So, so maybe, just maybe, and when I say maybe, I mean, I think in reality, I think what really is going on, understand me, okay? Maybe. He's not speaking about the man with the withered hand at all. Maybe, just maybe, he's speaking directly to the hearts of the Pharisees. Okay? Hearts that he, he looks at, and he's stirred with anger. He's grieved. The passage says that their hardness of heart. Okay? Now, what does it say? They, they were, but they were what? Silent, right? They were silent. I know y'all aren't looking at this screen. Y'all are looking at these. Um, but they were silent. Were they really? Were the Pharisees really silent? You know, Jesus asked this question, did they really remain silent? Well, like most good questions that have a yes or no answer, the best answer is often yes and no. And I think that's the case here. Did they verbally answer him? Absolutely not. But they did answer. Look at verse 6. The Pharisees went out. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. You see what's going on here? What did they do? What did the Pharisees do? And when did they do it? Mark says with one of his favorite words, he says immediately. On that day, we assume on that Sabbath day, okay, they immediately, he says, held counsel. While they refused to give Jesus the freedom to do good on the Sabbath. And to heal the man you see what they feel free to do? The Pharisees felt free to meet, to hold counsel, and to plan the death of Jesus. <laughs> While if, if they had answered Jesus, they would have been forced to say, of course one should do good on the Sabbath and not harm. One should save a life and not seek to kill it. They do the complete opposite, don't they? They seek to do harm on the Sabbath. They seek to kill on the Sabbath. And no doubt, they feel completely justified in their actions. It's incredible, isn't it? When you think about it. When you think about what they're coming after Jesus with. And the whole time, who is the one who's really violating it? Who is the one who's really moving against it? Who's the ones who are unable to find any rest on that day? Who are the ones who are seeking to do harm? 
Who are the ones who are seeking to kill? Now, before we kind of bring things to a conclusion, let's not forget the man with the withered hand. Okay, we kind of left him there. Um, We need to come back to him. Let's not forget him. In the midst of this incredible opposition that he has, Jesus still has time. It's incredible. He still has time to have compassion on this man with the withered hand. He doesn't allow all this other theatrics going on around him to distract him from his mission of making this broken world whole. And he does that with this man with the withered hand, doesn't he? And it's amazing what he says. Do you you see verse 5? What does he say? What does he tell the man to do? He says, stretch out your hand. He, He tells him, to do the very thing that he cannot do. You understand. A man with a withered hand, he can't stretch out his hand. And all Jesus does is say, stretch out your hand. And the man stretches it out. And his hand is restored. Now, I imagine just that very thing probably angered the Pharisees even more. Because you notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't lay hands. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't even say words that, oh, I heal you. All he does is say, hey, why don't you hold out your hand? In a way, he kept to the letter of the Pharisees' law. And it must have angered them even more as they go out to seek to begin the path of taking him all the way to the cross. And at the end of the day, of course, that's where Jesus was intent upon going. He was intent upon going to the cross because healing this broken world didn't just take place in the healing of a withered man's hands, okay? It took place in a very, in a much more holistic way of healing broken people who are broken not by the physical stuff of this world, but by spiritual death itself. So that we might be reunited, if you will, with God. So that we might be made clean. So that we can go to Jesus and have forgiveness of our sins. That is why he came and this man with the withered hand and his healing is just a picture of that huge thing that Jesus was intent upon doing of bringing holistic healing, a healing from sin and death. And the Pharisees, they don't see it. Their hearts are hardened. Now, before I conclude, I know some of you are probably asking the question and you you just want to know, okay, well, we've been kind of dancing around the Sabbath thing. Well, what are we supposed to do? You know, Sabbath now, the Lord's Day. Um, What are we supposed to do now on this first day of the week? What are we allowed to do? What are we not allowed to do? And I think you can kind of guess from the context of the sermon to give those answers would be counterproductive, wouldn't it? Because the Pharisees, they created all sorts of rules to try to figure out, okay, exactly what are we allowed to do to try to make this day black and white. And they completely, they completely missed the heart of it. You see, we should instead be reminded of God's incredible graciousness that He created the Sabbath day 
for man, not us for the Sabbath day. A day where we're reminded that we don't need to work ourselves to death and shouldn't. A day in which we're free to rest and worship. A day where it's completely acceptable for you to go home and take a nap and you don't have to feel guilty at all about it. Okay? A day where you can enjoy your family. You can enjoy time with Jesus. It's not to be a day of burden, but a day of delight. A day of delight. And I hope it is and becomes that for you. For the Pharisees, it was anything but a day of delight. It was a day of burden for them. I think is what you see as you see these stories. They they fail to see the rest that that God meant to bring them. They don't see the graciousness of of this incredible day. They they, they can't find the rest. They, They can't help but do harm on it. And it's because they totally miss Jesus. There's a wonderful quote by John Stott in his little book, which you've never read it, you should, Basic Christianity. And he says this. He says, if you read the Bible, you'll see that nobody who ever met Jesus Christ ever had a moderate reaction to him. There are only three reactions to Jesus. They either hated him and wanted to kill him. They were afraid of him and wanted to run away or they were absolutely smitten with him. And they tried to give their whole lives to him. I think we see this morning who the Pharisees are, right? The sadness of the story is that those who should have seen, who should have been smitten with him, totally miss the Messiah who's in front of them, the promised one that they've been waiting for. They were totally caught up if you will, in their own self-salvation project, trying to save themselves by keeping all the right rules to somehow make themselves right before God. And they missed Messiah, who was right there in front of him. They missed Jesus. So the question I want you to think about as we go into the rest of this day, this week that is before us, I think Stott's right. There really are only those three reactions. Hate him and want to kill him run away from him, or absolutely smitten with him, wanting to give him your life. Which one are you? Where do you find yourself? Are you smitten with him, desiring to give your whole life to him? Because your Savior is standing in front of you. He stands in front of us as we're reminded of the cross of what He has done for us. That He gave everything so that we could be brought into His family. Adopted as sons and daughters of the great King so that we could be made clean. Are you smitten with Him? I pray that you are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word before us this morning. 
I pray that it's penetrated our hearts. You were after the hearts of the Pharisees and their hearts just hardened. I pray, if anything, all of our hearts just softened, if even a little bit. That today, we are but a little bit more smitten with you. Oh, Father, we need you transforming us more and more into the image of our Savior, Jesus. Remind us today, I pray we've been reminded, of who Jesus is, of the freedom and the rest that he has come to give us. Would you help us to believe it? We pray. In Jesus' name, amen.